Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Thoroughbreds in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Thoroughbreds is an art house indie movie. Uh, it came out over the past weekend for the general public, but it did have its world premiere last year, January, at Sundance. And I've been looking forward to this for a while and just kind of waiting for it to come out. I really thought it was going to come out in time for last year. Kind of missed that deadline by two or three weeks, though. Uh, so, for me, it does count as a 2017 film, having its premiere last year at Sundance, which is frustrating, but I'll get into that. More on that later. Um, yeah, so it stars Olivia Cook, Anya Taylor-Joy, Anton Yelchin, rest in peace, and others. Um, those are pretty much the only characters, uh, the only people that I recognize. Uh, so, and uh, none of them are... Outside of Yelchin, I don't like. I don't think Anya Taylor-Joy or Olivia Cook are that prominent of actors. Um, Olivia Cook, probably most well known uh, as uh, the Dying Girl in *Me and Earl and the Dying Girl*, and Anya Taylor-Joy, best known for *Split* and *The Witch*, which were the only other things I'd seen her in before this. And uh, the movie is, um, you know, there's a quote on one of the posters that says it's Heathers meets American Psycho. Uh, I think that's pretty apt. I, I don't have any, I don't find anything to disagree with as far as that is considered. I think it is a little bit more stylized than either of those films though for its own benefit to its own benefit. But the Heathers analogy totally totally fits uh, with with um, Amanda and Lily who are Olivia Cook and Anya Taylor-Joy, respectively. And American Psycho, uh, it's, it's true. That's it's kind of exactly a perfect a perfect way to, to synopsize the movie. It's, it's a revenge thriller, dark comedy, uh, where Olivia Cook's character has recent... And, and Anya Taylor-Joy's Taylor... Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy's characters were friends as kids, um, and uh, we're not really sure what drove them apart at first. Uh, the opening scene shows Livia Cook arriving at Anya Taylor-Joy's house, and the two of them studying for, like, the SATs or something to that effect. Uh, but they aren't friends anymore, and now something pretty awful has happened and Olivia Cook has some sort of mental disorder and no longer has any feelings. Which is fascinating, because it's tough for a character to show growth, to evolve, to change uh, over the course of a movie when they have no feelings. They can't be upset, they can't be happy, they can't be invested in a thing. You know, they're removed, they're emotionally distant from a thing. And that makes it tough to... Uh, connect with the character, um, let alone for that character to connect with anything else. And it's a huge credit to Livia Cook's performance 
and the presentation of the film to give us a situation where not only are we connected to Olivia Cook and do we are we you know we're given enough insight into what she thinks and, and what she's doing to understand uh, her motivations but we're also able to kind of sympathize with her and, and root for her without that emotional and, and with, without that emotional investment and without any feelings uh, which is not easy I don't think you know that's difficult to do whereas Anya Taylor-Joy's character Lily uh, is currently living in a pretty unhappy situation with a new stepdad that she doesn't like um, we slowly find out in the early parts of the movie that her own life has kind of fallen apart and isn't what she claims it is, mostly. And as Lily and Amanda start to rekindle the friendship that they had lost so many years ago, they come up with this plan um, that... that they think might help, and uh, they're they're like having this conversation, and they and Olivia and and Amanda's character just casually suggests murder, and Anya Taylor is like, "No, I haven't. No, why would no? You know, I would end up in jail. This, that, and the other." Um, to which Amanda replies, "You know, well, why do you assume?" You would go to jail, why, you know, being cool, calm, and collected, she can just say, like, well, I don't know why you think that you go to jail, you know, you should just weigh the cost and, uh, the cost and benefits of it, and that sort of thing, and it's such a refreshingly blunt approach to this sort of a story, where you have these characters who, for all, for all intents and purposes, are just kind of are kids really um as they consider themselves a couple of times in the movie they refer to themselves as kids but i think a lot of the movie they're presented as you know young adults more so than kids and they are looking to commit this heinous crime but i think the movie presents it in such a way where you think yeah you want them to succeed. You want them want this to work out. You want them to be better off. And to that end, uh, they enlist the help of Anton Yelchin, who is much older than them. Uh, we first meet him at a party that Lily is attending, and he just kind of he's kind of like a big fish in a little pond in a way, as like this drug dealer, and. She, she, they, they have a conversation and it doesn't really go well. But the dialogue, to, to that extent, like all the conversations between Lily and Amanda, between Lily and Tim, Tim is Anton Yelchin's character, or Amanda and Tim, or the three of them together, like all these, all the conversations are so well written. Uh, there's one good conversation towards the end of the movie between Mark who is the stepdad of Lily and Lily that I thought was great and did a lot to humanize Mark and 
was very honest and and kind of brutal in the fact that in the sense that it was um straightforward and really hit home at, at at problems that Lily has as a character and as a person without seeming to without like making Mark seem like too much of us or yeah Mark seem like too much of a sympathetic character like we still hate him but he like has a point and and that's even addressed in the movie all the dialogue is fantastic so the conversations I love them uh but Yelchin in reportedly his last role ever which is oh, which is so sad he's so good in this movie and it's really a shame um at least like he at least in my opinion he was able to be in a movie his final movie that was really good like it's really good and there's a there's moments in the movie where in my opinion it feels like he unfortunately passed away in the middle of shooting because there are times where you don't actually see his face and I think that that's because he had already died when they were shooting those parts or before they could get to them which is interesting because I, I wonder if had he not passed if the film's trajectory if the film's plot would have been different um, because as if you see the movie as you'll see or if you've already seen the movie you know obviously his character's plot line gets to a certain point uh, and then it stops progressing, and we shift think more focus back over to Lily and Amanda, and that may have not been the case in the original script, uh, but I, I don't know if Anton Yelchin passing had anything to do with changing it, or if it was supposed to be how it is from the beginning. Because I think it works out much better from the beginning, I think it makes it more unpredictable. Uh, you know, you have this sort of assured sense uh, matter of fact sense from amanda who you know no emotional investment she's like look this is going to happen and like almost every time she does that she's right you know she's got that a she's able to distance herself so well that she can easily just kind of understand and factor in all of these external components in a way that Lily can't because she is emotionally invested in things and so it's strike it's striking and shocking when we get to this element part of the movie where uh, Amanda says you know look this is going to work out this is going to happen you know there's no reason for it not to and then that's not what happens it doesn't happen that way and that's interesting and that takes us on a completely different direction into the rest of the movie uh, I also mentioned that the movie is pretty stylized. Uh, there are a lot of long takes. One of the opening shots is a long take as Olivia Cook enters Anya Taylor Joy Anya Taylor Joy's house and just kind of wanders through it. We get some great moments in that. Um, she comes across this poster hanging on the wall of a little girl on a horse, and you know we haven't seen any emotional reaction from Olivia Cook yet. We don't know that she has no feelings. And she turns to a mirror and she makes a fake smile, uh, mirroring the smile on the girl on the horse's face, and then immediately shifts away from it. There's another pretty fantastic long take towards the end of the movie, uh, which isn't so Im impressive for what's happening on screen, because um, mostly nothing happens on screen. But the sound design and soundscape and... Um, 
effects that are happening off screen as as events transpire is brilliant. I loved it. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, one of my two favorite scenes in the movie. It's that, and then uh, there's a second scene where uh, Anya and and Olivia are sitting on the couch. They're watching this old movie, and they're making fun of the effectiveness of the lead actress in set in this old movie crying and how good and or bad she is, which sparks. Um, <laughs> which and you know Anya Taylor Joy starts like kind of talking about it while she's watching the movie, and then we see Olivia Cook who just forces herself to cry, and then immediately like wipes the emotion off of her face, and you know we get to really see how fake uh, her emotions are that we've ever that have ever been, and for how long they've been emotionless. Uh, it's it's really it's really fascinating and and just all, the whole conversation that they have, as far as and, and the way this this they shoot um, the two of them on the couch and then you see the the stepdad we come up from behind the stepdad's head and like his head is right between the two of them on the couch from afar. Uh, it's a great shot. It's a great shot. I like that a lot. Um, trying to avoid any real spoilers here and. Uh, it's, it's, man, so I mentioned that it counts as a 2017 movie. Now, I, I really, really like this movie. I thought it was great. Um, I haven't, I'm, I'm a little behind in putting movies into the spreadsheet, so I haven't gotten to the point where I know what I'm going to rate this, but if I'm looking through 2017 films, you know, I'm looking in the 80s range, 85 is my instinct. Uh, that would put it on par with LA-92, the documentary. Um, would it, pu- it would put it behind Brigsby Bear and John Wick Chapter 2, ahead of Good Time, ahead of Trophy, another documentary. That's where I kind of expect it to be. I don't. It's not going to get up to the 90s for me, but I'm looking in the mid-80s as a jumping-off point. And because it's 2017, I've already done the 2017 Circle of Film Awards, so I can't really add it to those in hindsight anymore. So I would say it's a very good candidate uh, as, uh, to be in next year's um, I forget the term I, I made for it though. I'm not sure. Let me see. Honorary Oversights. So last year it was Lady Macbeth and Personal Shopper. Um, this year, uh, one of those two, one of the two films is there's a good chance of thoroughbreds, to be honest, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if that's what ends what ends up happening. Um, if not, yeah, and if not next year, it might be a year after that. Um, it depends how things turn out. So, and it's so that's that's the kind that's kind of frustrating. I all my year, release date years are. A hundred percent accurate, as far as I'm aware, and as far as I can keep track, with Letterboxd, because one, I Letterboxd is my primary reference for movies, and the statistics on Letterboxd are based off of the years on Letterboxd. So, when I'm looking at something like my 2018 statistics, and it tells me that I've seen 
you know, 27, 28 films from 2017, I want to be able to look on my own spreadsheet and have that same number come up. But, you know, with a film like Thoroughbreds, it's kind of a 2018 film because the only time it was released before 2018 was in a festival at Sundance. And so for a lot of people, it's going to end up being a 2018 film. And that is frustrating because if it was a 2018 film, it would have a huge impact on the 2018 Circle of Film Awards. I don't know if it would ultimately last uh, to the end of the year, but it would be there now. And unfortunately, it can't be. And there's a lot of films like that. I'm sure there's going to be more this year that I'm going to be frustrated with that count as 2017 when they're not released really until 2018, but because of the festivals and all that. And there's no easy solution to that. I mean, I could go in and change the year of Thoroughbreds and Letterboxd, but it would ultimately probably be changed back because it does count that it was released in Sundance. Like, people got to see it early. It's not a 2018 release. And, you know, that was the same thing for Lady Macbeth and Personal Shopper. That was mostly, a t those were both 2017 films for a lot of people. But I don't go based on when I saw it or when it came out in the United States. It's the first time it came out. That's what year it is. Um, and that sucks. <laughs> really sucks. But I can't really do anything about it. And that's just what it has to be. Uh, so Thoroughbreds, um, directed by Corey Finley. This is his debut film. Uh, which is interesting and definitely uh, someone to keep an eye on. He directed and wrote it. He is a member, according to his IMDb trivia, he is a member of Youngblood, which, as the name suggests, is a collective of up-and-coming professional playwrights under the age of 30. Interesting. Uh, he's working on a... He's writing on a new short film called Sauna. I might check out. Um, hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 out in theaters now. I would highly recommend going to see it. It's, it's really fascinating with fantastic performances from the three leads. Well, two leads in supporting and one supporting. It's shot really well. The effects, the sound, the cinematography are all great. The The production and sets are awesome. Like, the two houses that we spend all, most of our time in are very, very large and intricate. And yet, I never really felt like I was... I never felt like I was lost in them. I didn't feel like I didn't know where I was. Uh, as opposed to, say, Game Night, where... Despite how great I think the um, the Fabergé egg scene in Game Night is, that whole one take was awesome. I still like I was lost. I never knew who was gonna come out from what side of that house. It was just so complicated, complex, and convoluted to a fault. And the houses and thoroughbreds, I don't get that same sense at all. It's really funny. Uh, it's it's. It's there's a lot of really funny moments and just uh, kind of the, the way that the film presents something that isn't really funny and is actually kind of like sad or depressing, but it, it, it's shown to us in a way that juxtaposes it against 
and, and plays it for laughs and plays it for humor and as, as comedic relief. And I think all for me, all of those moments really worked and, and I was really connected to the humor and laughter of this movie. And then I guess I'll just wrap this up with some of my final thoughts. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, mid-80s movie for me, so four stars on Letterboxd, which is pretty high. It's got a 3.7 average, which is pretty strong already. And I like I would see this again. It's super short. It's under 90 minutes. And Anton Yelchin, it's his final role. And it's not the biggest or, or juiciest. You know, it might... Um, it's not um, green room in that sense, but it is certainly a film that I would be more than happy to be my last, if that were me. Although, you know, no one wants anything to be their last film, I suppose. And, yeah, like, Olivia Cook, Anya Taylor-Joy, both up-and-coming actors in their own rights, and I think they both are going to be great going forward. I, I love them in this. I'm super excited to see them in other things going um, the rest of this year, next year. I don't know. You know, like Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be in New Mutants. Uh, that's in 2019 now. Whereas um, Olivia Cook's going to be in Ready Player One in a couple of weeks, which is exciting. And I'm looking forward to that. She's also going to be in a movie called Life Itself. The Lives of People from New York to Spain Intersect Over the Course of Different Generations. I don't know if that'll be any good, but it's got a big cast. So, yeah, good movie. Uh, really exciting, really fun, dark comedy, revenge thriller. And uh, you should go see it. Cool. Uh, so, that's pretty much for today's episode. A little short. I was a little running a little bit behind uh, in recording for this episode. I apologize about that, but I uh, definitely had to talk about this movie. We, I just saw it Sunday, yesterday, as of recording and as of releasing. So it's it's fresh in my mind and definitely something that's going to stick with me for a while. So thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to uh, write in, to me, to the show, uh, you can do that at circleoffilm at gmail.com or on Twitter at circleoffilm. You can find me on Letterboxd at Stranger, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H. You can check out the website, circleoffilm.com, for all previous episodes and Circle Film Awards and all that kind of stuff. And you can support the show at Circle of Film on Patreon. And as always, have a week. So long, She'll never leave me Even as she fades from view So long, farewell I'll be to Saint Adieu In the name of love One night in the name of love So long, farewell Oh, what I'll be to say Wait a minute Wait a minute Wait a minute